the word of God present in our midst. The, I want to focus our attention um, on just a very uh, brief portion of the gospel. I think our version, our translation, I think is three words. Jesus says, come after me. Or another uh, translation says, follow me, follow me. Um, you know, uh, these um, are uh, the words that Jesus summons us to follow. And it's been over a little over 2,000 years that he first gave that invitation to people to come after him, to follow him, and it resonates down to our day. He continues to call us to follow, to follow. And what, what does that, that mean exactly? What does that entail? Well, first of all, let's be obvious about this, that when Jesus invites us to follow him, it's because he knows where he's going. He has direction and purpose in his life. And I would consider that to be one of the most important words that could be given to any of us because we seem to live in a time and a culture that has lost all kind, has lost all sense of direction. When Jesus says, follow me, he's got a plan and a purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, like when I'm grocery shopping, and I'm trying to find the uh, the capers, you know, and I, I, can't, I can't find them. And uh, you go up to one of the people in the store, the employees, and you say, uh, where are the capers? And they'll say, they're in aisle five. I've been up and down aisle five, five times. I mean, and, but if they say, follow me, and they take you there, how much different is that? So that is the thing, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he gives us a sense of purpose and direction. He knows what we're looking for. And he has provided the means for us to get there. Now some might think, well, you know, what right does one have to take me off from the direction I'm in and uh, expect me to go your way? But to think of it in those terms is really to forget the sad state of affairs that humanity is in. We are lost. And oftentimes, we are discouraged. And so when Jesus offers us this invitation to follow him, it's not like he's asking us to go from one good path to another one that's slightly better. He's taking us out of our disillusionment out of our abandonment and placing us on the road that leads to the kingdom. And notice that Jesus is always hopeful. He says to a fallen world, come after me. You know, it's because his direction was always future-oriented. A lot of us, I think, sometimes we, we have a, a feeling of nostalgia for the past, and sometimes we live with regrets of our past. Both are clearly a waste of time. And Jesus, he wouldn't encourage us to spend much time there. 
He said to a woman at the well, I don't condemn you. You know, it's it's not that we have fallen, we all have. It's that we get up. It's not that we have regrets, we all do. But it's not that, it's not the direction of our lives. Our direction is forward and it is hopeful. Jesus calls us into a hopeful future. A lot of us, I think, have gotten disillusioned about all the problems that we have on our day and time, and we become cynical and thinking that, well, it's never going to get any better. I mean, do you think that Jesus, ours is the only generation that had problems? I mean, Jesus lived in a time and a place that was horrific. I mean, we're being crucified along the Appian Way. I mean, you know, these were difficult times, but he's always hopeful. He's always, every message he says to a fallen humanity is that there's a brighter future ahead. This is what he calls us to. And not to abandon ourselves to cynicism, but to have in our hearts a hopeful purpose. Um, and having said that, you know, we travel together as a community, as a community of faith. We're not alone. Uh, when Paul in that second reading talks about the community and the divisions that have existed there. You know, sometimes we have the, I think, the impression that the early church had it all together and it's since then it's fallen apart. And, you know, we hear about how they shared everything in common. I bet that lasted about three weeks. I'm not sure, but um, it, it's always, the church has always had challenges with regard to its unity. And what Paul is encouraging here is not uniformity, but community, where the differences are respected. Can you imagine how dull a forest would be if it was filled with all the same tree? I mean, this is a beautiful mosaic of God's family, and all of our differences are really there, if properly understood, are there to enhance us. And you know, I just want to make a little pitch here to parents who have small children. You know, I know that you are concerned that your children might be distracting to others in the community. And so you sit in the back of the church. I want you to sit in the front of the church. I want you to invite you up front with the little ones, the small ones, so that they can see what's going on. I remember when I was a little kid, one of the most meaningful masses I ever experienced, I was way in the back of the church. There was a woman who had a hairdo like Marge Simpson. You know, um, it was called a beehive, I think, in those days. I spent the entire mass watching a fly try to extricate itself from her hair. (laughs) I mean, that's not (laughs) what we want to do to our children. When we baptize them, they have every right to be here as much as you and I do. And... um, you know, imagine, you know, we used to put them in those infant rooms, those cry rooms, we call that. Now, can you, what if we did that to any other demographic? Oh, you Italians, you got to go in there. You know, we would never do that. Why do we do that to children? Why do we try to exclude them? Bring them up front. And when they, their attention span, um, you know, is short, okay, they're children. We have beautiful windows, walk them around, got an escape hatch right over here, take them out into the beautiful courtyard. You know, this is their home. 
They have a right to be here. And if we're distracted by children, I have a suggestion. I can tell you, you can go to some place. Well, you'll never be distracted by them. Go to jail. There are no children in jail. (laughs) But this is God's family. And this is what we're called to support and encourage one another on our journey to follow Christ. And following Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the church encourages us on this Word of God Sunday is to make the scriptures a part of our life in a very real way, to pray them. Ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. And so we want to encourage each and every one of us to make a daily scripture reading. It, you don't have to do it for very long. Just pick up the Bible, start with the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest one. You can read it in one setting, but you don't have to. But then move on and stay, stay primarily in the New Testament for now, or get yourself a good Catholic study Bible. Very helpful. And there, you know, this word on fire that Bishop Barron has established, he has incredible uh, scriptures. He has the, um, the four Gospels in one volume. There's all kinds of background information and uh, commentary by the lives of uh, saints and even contemporary thinkers. And he also um, just re released uh, another section of the New Testament letters and epistles and book of Revelation. And in the future, he's going to have the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So I'm telling you, we live in an age where the scriptures are so accessible to us. The reason, you know, in past generations, people were illiterate, they couldn't they couldn't read, so the church put the Bible on the walls of the church and in the windows and all. Uh, but you and I have such resources. There's no excuse. And when following Jesus, we need to know who we are following. And we have that beautifully given to us in the pages of the sacred scripture.